Hi everybody, just a quick content warning for people who haven't seen this movie before. There is a pretty intense attempted rape scene in the movie, and we start talking about it at 49 minutes in. We talk about it for about 30 seconds, so if that's the kind of thing you'd rather not hear about, you know where it is, and you can go ahead and skip right through that. Enjoy the show. Hi everybody, I'm George, and this is The Best Little Horror House in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest at least. And today's guest is a member of Big Grande, you might know him from the Teacher's Lounge, John Mackey is here. How's it going, John? Oh, it's going uh, as good as it can. Sure, it's funny because when you picked your movie for today, I, it didn't even occur to me how uh, how relevant it would be. <laughs> yeah, <So>. it, it, <laughs> it's. Uh, I, I actually rewatched it today just in preparation and i was just like thinking about how uh this could be our future we still have our 28 days to go but uh, yeah oh man before we uh get to the actual movie though can you tell us a little bit about your history with the genre so i uh as a a very young boy had a, a cousin who uh was very into horror and he used to babysit me and my brother. He was probably like seven or eight years older than us. And like when I was like way too young to watch horror movies, he would he would play them uh, while he was babysitting us. And the first one I remember was Child's Play when I was like, <laughs> I had to be like seven, or six, like some like way too young. Prime age to get terrified by it. Yeah, yeah. And it like <laughs> it like really messed me up uh, for a long time. And like I've always been like a pretty skittish kid. Like I, I like when I was younger, I was like scared of everything. And like, so like for a long time, I was just like, no way. I don't even like horror movies. I'm not gonna go and watch them. I'm not gonna waste my time. I know they're gonna scare me. They're not gonna be fun. Right. For like most of my life. Yeah. This honestly, is like, I was like, the same. Yeah, and it, it like it to the point where like it's shameful how afraid I was. <laughs> uh in college and stuff like i would like never go like when big groups of people were like oh we're gonna go see uh like the new uh friday 13th movie or whatever i was like yeah i know i don't think i need to i I don't think i need to like subject myself to that but then honestly speaking of friday the 13th the thing that sort of like got me back into horror movies was i it's actually honestly not pretty recently i guess 10 years is not that recent but like 10 years ago my first job when I moved out to Los Angeles was I, I worked for this company that did quality control for DVDs and Blu-rays. And so my job essentially was to just watch movies and TV shows that were being released over and over and over again in every different language pass, every different like subtitle arrangement. I'd check the DVD menus to make sure that all the buttons work. It sounds like game testing where it sounds like a dream come true until you're yeah. like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, 100%. It was like that thing where you're just like, oh, man, this should be easy. I mean, I got, I barely got paid, but that was like, that, it didn't matter. I was fresh out here and just needed money. But when I was doing this, Paramount was re-releasing the entire original Friday the 13th run on DVD. And so for my job, I had to essentially watch the whole Friday the 13th series over and over and over again for probably like three or four months, like in every different language, every different subtitle pass. Wow. <laughs> uh, and so like I started watching it not as a horror movie anymore and just as like a fun, a fun movie. And it kind of flipped my perspective a little bit on the genre in general. 
and like made me much more open to exploring it. But I think it it also like sort of made me be like, okay, well, like I can handle like funny horror movies now, right? <laughs> where like the it's like it's like campy and stupid and isn't like super super scary, uh, and so that was like the thing that sort of made me more comfortable with it. But then also like I'm a a director uh, by profession, so like I also tend to like if if people are like, oh, you have to see this horror movie. It's not just a horror movie. It's like a very like artful horror movie. I'm like very interested, and I I will go and see everything. Like I saw like you know like Midsummer and hereditary and like all these like sort of like prestige horror movies and i really enjoy them from like a storytelling and like directing and visual standpoint so now that i've sort of grown up and i've allowed myself to experience a little bit more of the genre and see it for more than just uh being scared as a seven-year-old i think i'm like way more in way more interested in in exploring things uh in general but yeah, as far as getting into horror at a later point, I think that that's pretty much the ideal way to do it. Like I actually got into horror pretty much the same way in terms yeah. of exposing myself to some of the older stuff. Friday the 13th was actually my first franchise that I finished as well, where yeah. I was like, this is I could understand how it was scary once upon a time. It's right. not scary to me anymore. Yeah. <laughs> they, it, yeah. We've grown past it. You know, right. Like, it doesn't look real. It doesn't feel real anymore. So you can expose yourself to the tropes of it and right. get a feel for the genre without actually having the scares yeah. of it right away. And it's funny. It's when, when you asked me to do this, I was like really debating because like I, I am obsessed in a weird way with the Friday the 13th series just from having to watch it so much and like right. diving <laughs> so deep into it. But I was like, do I think any of those are the best horror movie of all time? And I don't think they are. But I think Friday the 13th Part 3 is potentially one of the most entertaining horror movies if you watch it for what it is, which is people thinking, hey, what if we made a horror movie in 3D? And then there's like 40 scenes in it that are literally just because it's in 3D. Yeah, and they're like, like they came it. up with those first, and then they're yeah. like, "All right, build a movie yeah. around it." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like a, a a harpoon sticking out of a girl's eye, like and turning <laughs> to the camera. It's like it's just so much of that that it's it's that it was between that or Twenty Eight Days Later for me, and I chose to pick the more artful horror film. So this is not a new observation, but comedy and horror frequently considered to be flip sides of the same coin based on sort of the drawing of a reaction from a crowd based on surprise. And so you said that you got more comfortable with horror because you started watching uh, some of the horror comedies and stuff. Is that like fine line between the two, something that draws you to, to a horror movie? Like if that's an element in it, um, even if it's not necessarily a straight up horror comedy, if there is that kind of dark humor, um, does that draw you to a movie? Yeah. I I think that like, heightened stakes just make everything more funny and like to me an insane death is just as funny as a really good joke right like and you can you can uh, i feel like you can actually get more of a reaction out of me by by going insane with the way that you present someone's death or like the creativity of how you're going to surprise someone and i think that the same things happen in comedies and horror and when you combine the two it's just like the best of both worlds, I feel like. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, we've had a couple of great horror comedies already discussed on the show, and uh, every time it's so, it's so much fun to be able to go back and watch them and 
Uh, you know, a lot of them have a lot more to offer than people sometimes give them credit for. So, yeah, I think that uh, they're really great. But the movie we're talking about today is uh, 28 Days Later from 2003. Yeah. This is one of three collaborations involving Danny Boyle directing something Alex Garland wrote, including The Beach before this and Sunshine following it. And those are also good movies, but oh, I yeah. think that this is absolutely the best of those three. Yeah, absolutely. Hands down. Yeah, and this is this was just based uh, very simply on an idea that Alex Garland had for a movie that was about running zombies. <laughs> yeah, it, it's so simple. Yeah, it, it is so simple, but I mean, it's that's like, where the genius is. What if is. they moved fast? <laughs> What if we did what everybody else did, but we just, like, put it on fast forward? Do you like regular zombies, too, or are you strictly a runners kind of guy? Uh, I think I like—I I, I wouldn't say that I'm, like, a, a huge, like, zombie guy in general. Like, I'm not, like—I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, like, all the, like, of the dead movies are great. Or, like—I mean, I watch, like, The Walking right. Dead, and I think, I think it's great, but I don't watch that show because I like zombies. I watch that show for a lot of other reasons. I think when I saw this movie— it like it like broke my brain a little bit and for a lot of reasons but like mostly because it just is like so intense and like you don't realize that like it can be just as like sort of scary and like foreboding when the things can run and it's almost worse because there's no way you can escape so it's just (laughs) it's just everything about a zombie movie turned up to 11. i think the thing that i like the most about this movie is how cheap it looks (laughs) but at the same time it's like so impactful and like so 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 well done but it's so obvious that they like did it so meagerly and made the most of what they had and i think that that's the coolest the coolest thing about watching this movie is just to me how it looks and how they did it and all the choices that they made to make it different from like every other zombie movie that's ever been made but yeah it's awesome I, I really agree with that. I And so, like you said, they do a lot to differentiate themselves. Not only do we have running zombies, which is a huge shift in and of itself, but they also shifted away from, uh, at, at this point, established zombie lore by right. pivoting away from the eating people's brains thing. Yeah. Um, because they were like, this is outdated. We're not at this point anymore. Well, and, like, also, I think that choice, if to me, it's like what I think this movie did is it, like, it almost took this like very supernatural thing of like dead people coming back to life and like attacking living people. And I mean, that's not this movie at all. These aren't dead people. These are, these literally are just angry human beings. (laughs) Like like they, (laughs) they made the zombies not, not the same. It's this whole movie is about people. It's not about this like sort of like supernatural force or, or bug that came back. I mean, it is like a quote unquote virus, but like, it's very, very like surface level. Like these are like the virus is called rage. These are people who are just angry and, and aggressive. Like it's just about humanity. And right. and I, I it's just that I think is the thing that just like sticks with me every time I watch it. It's just like this is just about humanity and like society and what's wrong. Not <laughs> it's not necessarily just about zombies. It's about people. Yeah, that's that's something I think is really interesting as well is uh, they Act, like they actively considered the fact that one of the original factors behind zombie movies was a fear of like nuclear power and the possible effects that it would have. But in 2003, that's not on people's minds. Instead, yeah. they use modern fears like the fear of disease, like a viral pandemic, and just the like the 
the anger that seems to be permeating culture. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's not that long. It's two years after nine 11. It's like, it's like the, the fear is people. Yeah. And it was being filmed during nine 11. Yeah, yeah. It's like, like, this is like when, when you don't need to be scared of, of like this, like sort of cataclysmic event. You need to be scared of the people around you because that's, they are the most evil. <laughs> yeah. They were, they were inspired by like anthrax attacks and bioterrorism scares in, in London that were, like specific events and they said that they they were influenced by the Romero movies Garland specifically said that he watched them a lot growing up but that zombies were out of vogue in the back half of the 80s when he was like really like in the prime age to be watching these horror movies and so he, he kind of fell out of them but then he actually played Resident Evil when it came oh. out and that brought it all back for him and so yeah. when you look at this movie's like cultural status it's really incredible the way that it totally started the zombie revival that lasted for almost a decade. Yeah. This is kind of the tipping point that led to Shaun of the Dead, the Dawn of the Dead remake. Um, yeah. Those came out a year later. And then there were also books like World War Z, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, the TV shows like Walking Dead. And it really just changed the path of pop culture uh, in a really indelible way. And I think that comes from like going back to talking about how like I liked horror movies that like sort of embrace the camp like i feel like this movie did exactly the opposite and was just like hey no 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 no. like zombies aren't like cheesy and like stupid they are legitimately scary and terrifying and like and and very grounded and like real and it took this thing that had become like a joke and made it like very serious again and i think that that is kind of what made it made zombies come back was when people were just like oh shit like actually this is like they did this right. in such a cool way that it, I'm not embarrassed to think this movie is cool because it's not cheesy at all. It's just like super, super grounded and, and, and like real. And they made it cool. They just made it cool. I think. They did. And that groundedness comes from, like you said, a lot of it has to do with just the way it was shot. Yeah. This was actually one of the first mainstream films to be shot entirely digitally. And really the only two mainstream films before it that did the same thing were Attack of the Clones and Once Upon a Time in Mexico. And there were two reasons, they said, for choosing digital footage instead of film. And the first was aesthetic. They said that yeah. the harshness of the footage, would they felt really suited the apocalyptic urban landscape. And yeah. it helped to convey the tone, saying the general idea was to try and shoot as though we were survivors too. And it totally comes across. Yeah, because it like that whole the whole first like opening sequence, like it feels like every shot is from like a security camera mm -hmm. or like a camera that's just like sort of laying on the ground. They do such a good job. And like that, the the visual texture of it, I, it also feels like I don't know that they shot it in HD or was it shot SD and then blow, blown up? I'm, I'm not even sure, but it, like it has this like pixelated lo-fi texture to it that just like makes you feel like you are just like a guy sitting behind like a shitty DV camera watching this stuff really happen. And it's, it's, ah, man, it's so it, good. It, it looks great, but it also had the added benefit of shooting with standard cameras would have pretty much been impossible. I was reading an interview with one of the producers and he said that uh, the police and the local authorities were quite happy to help us because we could set up scenes so quickly. We could literally yeah. be ready to shoot with a six camera setup within minutes, something that was not realistically possible if we were shooting on the restrictions of 35 millimeter would take a great deal more time to set up a single shot. And I mean, when you look at the way that they have to shut down like these parts of London. Yeah, like 
man i was i when i was watching it today because i remembered i remembered like reading somewhere that there was like one shot in that opening sequence where you can see like a car passing in the distance but it's like i was like watching specifically for that and i was just thinking there's like shots in there that are like four or five six blocks of street that is completely shut down in the middle of london i can't even imagine what that process is like especially considering like the budget they had like they're they're budget was like insanely small and there is i did see there's one shot where you can see a car passing very far in the distance it's like sort of in the left side of the frame uh and it ruined the movie for me but uh <laughs> but yeah no it, it, it it's really impressive like because you, you do think like so much like so much went into that opening sequence and then but they were shooting like every scene with hidden cameras inside of a car or like in a pile of trash on the ground, like or up in the mounted to the corner of a building, they were able to do so much cool stuff because the, these cameras are like nothing. They're like little babies that you can just tape to the wall. They had to put so much into just creating these shots so that they could shoot them. For the for those scenes in like the heart of London, they would close the roads at 4 a.m. and they had exactly one hour to get set up and shoot. And Man. even at 4 a.m drivers like clubbers and stuff going home were like pissed about being asked to oh wait yeah for up to an hour or find another <laughs> yeah. route so uh the the producers was like hey let's get some babes to tell them and they won't care <laughs> apparently it worked <laughs> i mean hey it shows it shows that they use some babes uh. <laughs> and uh for for scenes on the motorway however they needed daylight and so they yeah. got permission for one Sunday morning between 7 and 9 a.m. The police had to slow traffic from both directions. And using 10 cameras for those two hours, they got one minute of usable footage. That's so insane. <laughs> it's, I mean, that's like the, the like coolest thing about making movies in general to me. What you do, like problem solving. Like, like we have an hour, we have to shoot our movie. How do we do it? And then to see how it came together... Just rewatching even just the opening sequence today, I was just like, man, the soundtrack and just like how perfect it just sets the tone is just really is something else. Yeah. And I want to talk about this intro because one thing I like that it does that I think is really interesting is that not only does it not do opening credits, there's not even a title card. They really launch you right in. Yeah. Um, it, well, well, the title card is lit it's just it's 28 days later the informational chiron it's like right. <laughs> there's like you see the monkeys in the laboratory attack those people and then it's just like 28 days later we're here and you don't even realize that it's that's the movie you're watching and and it's it hits the ground running uh, it really does and i was just just watching that the actual like first scenes in the the lab too like it's so unsettling just how it was shot and how they somehow got these monkeys to to do exactly what they need <laughs> i mean they're watching this uh this awful footage like the first thing we see is just this like social unrest footage this montage and they said that they drew ideas from things that happened in rwanda and sierra leone but they I drew the line at actually using that footage which was yeah. i think a good thing <laughs> yeah you'd lose the audience if you hit them with anything too uh specific and obvious <laughs> right and it turns out that a chimpanzee is strapped down and being forced to watch these and a group of animal liberation activists set it free, um, and this highly contagious, rage-inducing virus overruns England basically immediately. But the scene where the scientist is trying to stop them, and they ask him the name of the disease, is so funny to me. Because it, the guy it's... pauses. <laughs> like, begrudgingly. Rage. Yeah, and he's like... Well, see, here's my thing. I know, I think that what we are meant to take from that, though, is that 
there is no name for this virus. It is not even necessarily a virus. It like because he says they there's like there have like the, I can't remember the exact words, but he basically says like they're on like a a, a like some sort of. Uh, I can't remember the words he uses, but essentially what it sounds like is he's saying like they've been like modified to like not uh, inhibit anti inhibitor or something like that to inhibit their like rage impulses. So it's right. like to me, it's like him just being like, I don't I don't know what it is. It's they're <laughs> just angry. And that to me informs the way that I interpret the whole movie, which is that like not n no one's infected it's like with anything r like real it's just the the base human primal instinct of like anger and like taking your aggression out on other people uh which i think plays into the climax of the movie like completely because mm -hmm. uh, you know I, we don't have to jump to there yet but it's like at the right. end of the movie you realize like even regular people are just as ruthless and insane and, 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 and aggressive, you know? Absolutely. I, I think that you're absolutely right about how it's actually intended, but just when, when he said it, it was just like, it looked to me like he was like, oh, I told Glenn that was a stupid name. And like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't want to say it. Yeah. They're not going to believe me that it's called rage. <laughs> he like, he just like whispers it under his breath. They do another taste. It, it's called rage. It's, it's just it's called rage. I know what it sounds like, but <laughs> you guys can pick another one. When, if, <laughs> tell them it's something else. But it is it is real, and it's they yeah. said they they patterned it on Ebola actually. Yeah. Um, and that blood out of the mouth and the eyes. Yes. Yeah, and it can be Lovely. passed among all primates. So very uh, very close to it. And in the graphic novel I was reading between this and the sequel. Um, they actually say that the Ebola virus was the basis of their experiments that they used to like carry the thing that inhibited their rage thing. So it, mm. it like, it's kind of like Ebola plus <laughs> <laughs> and the, that plus is what is what makes them broken in the brain that lets them just feel this rage so completely. And, yeah. uh, it's, it's scary stuff. <laughs> just man, the shot of the monkey running down the little window tunnel in the cage and jumping out on the woman. It's very, it's very intense. And again, it's, it's also down to like, they, they do the like sort of high shutter speed effect on these like shitty, shitty cameras. And it looks awesome. They, it just completely changes the aesthetic of the movie when they go into these like sort of rage montages, which are so cool. Yeah. And it's like the first time I'd ever seen something that like did that, that like communicated a change of tone with something that, obvious you know what i mean right. like they took made such a choice for like when we're shooting something that has this virus it's a completely different style and it again plays into the climax so well they they set you up for that climax without you even realizing it in that first scene the way that it shifts so seamlessly back and forth i mean it happens yeah. in this very first scene transition but it happens very frequently later down as well where you get this really intense kind of action sequence and then it'll be this very like still kind of thing. And yeah, like you said, it cuts to this Chiron 28 days after the initial outbreak. And, um, we just see bicycle courier, Jim played by yeah. Killian Murphy. <laughs> and he just wakes up from a coma. All dick out and everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's truly, I, I remember the first time I saw that I was just like, so impressed that that's what they did. 
Like that they were just, yeah, no, he's just going to be laying there all all frail with, with his wiener hanging out. Yeah, he's naked a lot in yeah. this movie. Yeah, <laughs> he loves his own naked body, I guess. Hey, good for him. We could all use too. a little of that. Very, yeah, yeah. He's, he's got his great physique. Yeah, um, and he finds the city deserted, and these shots are just, they just look so good. But yeah. it's so funny, like it feels like The Walking Dead like just shamelessly plundered it yeah, with the I remember- uh, don't dead open inside scenes from the pilot. <laughs> When I first watched The Walking Dead, I watched The Walking Dead before I read any of The Walking Dead books. And so I was truly blown away. Like, no, 28 Days Later is truly, like, my one of my favorite movies. And so, like, seeing that and just being like, wait a minute. Like, they know that 28 Days Later is a thing. They know that <laughs> yeah. it's a movie. It already exists. How are they just doing this? Just, like, <laughs> so brazen. Like, this is just 28 Days Later, but... With homage, homage. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy to me. But I think 28 Days Later does it better because it's... Uh, oh, yeah. You know, it just feels more more real and, like, sort of in, in it, you know? It does. And these scenes of him wandering around, it just has this incredible, incredible rising tension where yeah. he doesn't... He can't find anything. And as he's wandering, the scale of the shot gets wider and wider and wider. Yeah. And so you can absorb more of it and more of the emptiness and yeah. just the way that they play with this scale, I think is really fantastic. And, and the music, I mean, this is the first time I ever heard Godspeed you black emperor, like that mm-hmm. band. And this song is the most perfect song for this, like slow realization of like reality, like where you are skeptical and there's this rising tension of just like seeing seeing like sort of your worst fears realized moment by moment and then like the sort of just like weight of the realization that you are like truly alone in the middle of this like empty city with no idea what's going on the music is just like so perfect and like the way it's timed with his performance and as these shots get like more and more like big scale wise it's just like man it's so effective (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely it is. And and the whole soundtrack is really great. I mean, even just the score is really fantastic in times when they're using like this angelic choir kind of yeah. sounding stuff. Um, oh, yeah. To really, it kind of counterbalances kind of the grime and disgustingness that is on the, the camera. Yeah. Um, really, really great kind of counterbalance there. And uh, there's a really fun shot as he walks into the church. And he finds the phrase, repent, the end is extremely fucking nigh. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Man, yeah, that's like I remember the first time I saw this this movie, like that seeing that I was just like, man, what a good, just a good phrase, like yeah. saying it, saying it out loud. It sounds so <laughs> serious. Oh yeah, and like you just get it, like you completely get it. And they really, you know, really drive the point home because as soon as he sees that, he walks up these stairs and he just sees dozens and dozens of dead bodies strewn on the floor of uh. this church awful to see <laughs> and and the the moment that immediately follows where he like says hello and the two the two zombies like rookie turn. mistake <laughs> they turn and the that's another very like funny moment to me just as a comedian because i i i see the way that they turn and the looks on their faces and like how big both of these actors go with like right. how much of a zombie they're gonna be <laughs> It's like one of them like literally has his mouth completely open and his eyes are huge. Like it's truly the funniest image in the world to me. And they don't move. That's the thing that's weird to me that they just like turn and look up at him and like, oh, 
They like look like a, a dog that you just like barked at and it like looks at you like, what the fuck? Yeah. And he also is like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it does this great lockdown shot to his right of uh, the priest of the church. And yeah. it's really an, it's so scary as it, he like just approaches with blood just leaking out of his orifices. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I think like you think about like the performance on like Gillian Murphy's part in that moment. Because he's like accepted reality, which is mm -hmm. that he feels like he's alone. And then he's confronted with this thing that like he has to either choose to be like, this is real and this is scary or I'm I, I, this is not like it's such a crazy thing to be confronted with. And the way he plays that moment of just like being I'm sorry, like, I, didn't, I shouldn't have screamed. Or I shouldn't have said anything. And then <laughs> the guy is just like walking towards him and he's like, oh, fuck, like this is like this is legit. Like, this is real. He's not mad about me yelling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And just the way he plays that moment, like he, I can't even imagine the whole first, the first 25 minutes of this movie, I think are probably some of the most difficult acting moments that an actor could ever have to handle. Like having to know how a person would act in this scenario. And it's not like other people can help shoulder the weight. It's entirely contingent on him. Yeah. Yeah. He's alone, literally alone. And with other <laughs> People who are just spewing blood out of their mouth. But luckily for Jim, Selena and Mark are there to save him, played yeah. by uh, Naomi Harris and Noah Huntley, respectively. And <laughs> they just have a whole bunch of Molotov cocktails. And uh, yeah. they just, uh, they're bombarding them. And there's some pump and rock and frenetic energy. And it's all just the editing. It's all really working together, really incredible. And it bounces back and forth, like I said, between these nice longer shots during the calmer moments and these super intense quick shots with like a wobbly camera style during these action moments that just works so, so well. Yeah, yeah. I think, and I think that goes back to like sort of the like sort of uh, the whole element of like, like sort of what it means to like timing in the same way of like in comedy in a horror film, they they set you up with these expectations over and over again in this movie where it's like, okay, things are calm, things are quiet. They, sh they tell you that story visually with very like sort of static shots, very like serene sound design and everything like that. And then there's these moments and, they, and it scares you every time because it's <laughs> always like somebody pop jumping through a door or like something exploding or like a person that you thought was dead like making a noise and, and, and turning or jumping through a window. It's like they, they, they set it up so perfectly and they don't like shy away from like being unabashedly a jump scare movie. You know what I mean? Like they yeah. set you up for it. They're like, in, we're going to do that constantly. So just get ready for it. Yeah. In one of the very next scenes, uh, one of the neighbors charges through a wall, like the damn uh, Kool-Aid man, <laughs> man, that still, even watching it, knowing it was coming it like it, like this movie, I've seen this movie enough times that I know when every like bad thing is going to happen. And it still like makes my heart race and makes me scared because they just do such a good job of completely sucking the air out and then just like throwing a grenade in. And that, oh, that scene is so scary. It sure is. But uh, before before that, the two, they tell Jim about this virus and they tell him that it's spread completely worldwide. And at Jim's request, they go to his parents' house where they learn that they committed suicide. And I was like, uh, damn, this note that they left him is so sad. <laughs> like, yeah. Between the score, with, uh, John Murphy is the one who did the score. I've mentioned it already. It's he great. does a great job with it. And the sound mixing and editing, the way that they handle it through this whole movie is just really stellar. But, like, yeah. they're really – they make you feel sad about this note where you're like, I never even met these parents. But <laughs> – Yeah. 
it is like oh god and like that's the interesting thing to me is like putting myself in this scenario if i woke up in this in this sort of obvious apocalypse which uh, we're doing every day now <laughs> would i would i need to see these things like for myself you know what i mean like would i need to go home and and know for sure that my parents are are dead you know what i mean right and like the idea of pushing through that journey to then just be confronted with what you could have and should have known was true all along is like it's just so depressing yeah Where it's like he just oh my god I can't like even just thinking about it makes me. Yeah, so it's sad. like which which is worse, the knowledge of the terrible truth or the the false hope of of them maybe being out yeah. there and looking uh, for you. Yeah. Like, My old parents definitely survived. Come on. <laughs> My very old parents who are barely mobile, they definitely survived. <laughs> yeah, they're Come doing on. fine. Yeah. They're they're in a farm upstate running around yeah they stay the night at jim's parents house and he's wandering around the house kind of soaking in the memories and he lights this candle which attracts like i said this guy who comes through the wall and uh, another one of his neighbors and through the ceiling one through the one through the window (laughs) then one through the fucking ceiling like they're just on the roof they're up on the sky like you can't predict them can't predict their movements and uh, that's what makes them so scary yeah and uh in the fight to save jim from these two guys Mark accidentally slashes himself in the arm with his uh, own weapon like an uh, idiot. You, that's the, you get a if you get a knife in a zombie apocalypse, you're always going to accidentally use it to kill yourself or to hurt yourself, maim yourself. Yeah, that's and amazing. don't use weapons. Definitely not edged weapons at the very yeah. least. Um maybe a, a bat or something, something blunt, yeah. but <laughs> um Selena kills him immediately uh. before he turns. Were you surprised they took this guy out so quick cuz I sure as hell was. I was, I was like, I remember in the theater when I saw this movie for the first time being like so shocked because I kind of, now it's less surprising to me because I think it happens more often now in movies where like they set you up like, oh, these are going to be my main characters and then they kill somebody. Like it feels like that happens more frequently <laughs> now. Stakes. <laughs> uh, which I just saw that movie, The Hunt, and they do that as well. Oh yeah. No spoilers. But uh, they just like people die that you're just not expecting to die. So now it's like less shocking. But I remember the first time being in in the theater and seeing this movie, like being very shocked that they did that because they had sort of set it up like, oh, this is our like team of right. Our trees are these are our people who are going to sort of be trying to survive in this in this setting. And like, I didn't care about that guy yet necessarily but you still just sort of definitely realize the sort of the type of movie that you're watching when that happens where it's like oh this is not a movie that's gonna like be super by the numbers you're not like oh no mark but you are like oh i i expected to care about this oh i thought i thought you were better than this mark And it's so it's obviously not in the movie, but Danny Boyle and Naomi Harris did develop a backstory for Selena's uh, hard nosed, ruthlessly pragmatic outlook. And uh, they said that she was forced to kill her infected mother and father to save her baby brother, only to discover that her brother was also infected. So pretty brutal backstory to come up with, uh, but it does kind of explain her attitude a little bit in this movie. It's really funny being able to, after after the fact, do that work. <laughs> like, when people are like, wait, why is she so angry? Be like, uh, um, uh, here's the reason. It, it, it's the, the, This is the perfect answer, and we had it all along. But now it's just Jim and Selena, and they're, they leave the house, and they're, they're wandering around. But 
they see these flashing lights on this big apartment building and they're like, well, it, it can't hurt to go look at this point. Like we might as well go check out what's going on over there. And they meet Frank, the cab driver played by Brandon Gleason, who I absolutely love. Uh, he's the best. And his daughter, Hannah played by Megan Burns in one of just two major roles for her. So yeah, I was going to say when I was watching today, I, w- I was like trying to think like what else she was in. Cause like she does really well in this movie. And I was, just, I expected her to have more of a career, but I guess, you know, not everybody uh, hits the hits it big with the the lottery. You know. Yeah, and it's funny too when when you see some of these kids maybe are just like eh, maybe I'm not as into it as I thought because yeah, like with she she has two good performances in this. The kids in the witch I think are like some of the best oh. child actors. And uh, they've done like nothing. <laughs> yeah, sometimes kids are just dipping their toe in and they realize it's not their thing. You know. Yeah. Which is honestly probably better. Less kids in movies, the better, I think. It ruins them. I, w- I would uh, probably say that it's a good thing as well. So, Megan Burns, you got your, your great role here, and then yeah. uh, you got out. Yeah. So, those two, although really it's mostly Frank, saves them from some infected in the building. The shot of the body, him, when he hits the body over the ledge and it just falls, and <sighs> they, sh- they show it shooting down the stairs. Oh, yeah. And it's just a body banging off of all the handrails and then landing so hard on the ground below like I, the sound of that body hitting the shopping carts like at the bottom Sickening. of the, it's one of the grossest sounds i've ever heard in a movie yeah the sound design like i said really just incredible in this he's so psyched to see more living people that <laughs> yeah. they break out the creme de menthe hell which, yeah <laughs> which is that a is that a, even a thing like yeah, I, I don't even know is. what creme de menthe is but they're so stoked about it. They sure are, and uh, it's party time, baby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's th- so this was the scene that was shot on September eleventh, two thousand and one. <laughs> That's so crazy. So Danny Boyle was like, "Yeah, it was weird to shoot this like party scene <laughs> on uh, yeah. on that particular day." But uh, you know, you have a schedule. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, and the show must go on. That's like like the Dana Carvey movie, Master of Disguise. The scene that they were shooting on nine eleven was uh, the Turtle Club scene, where he's oh he's trying God. to get into the Turtle Club. <laughs> that was shot on nine eleven. Wow, it's one of the funniest pieces of trivia I know. So that's incredible. Yeah. Well, unfortunately for Frank, um, supplies are running low, especially potable water. And uh, he gripes about it being the one time there's ever been 10 days without rain in England, which made me chuckle. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but the situation is dire. They've resorted to drinking water from the fish tank, which is very yeah. sad. Yeah. Like, those poor fish. Also, like, that's nasty water, dude. Fish aren't clean. <laughs> no. They're, they're pooping and peeing in that yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> Disgusting. It's really gross. And Frank uses his little, like, crank radio to show them a military broadcast offering protection to survivors at a blockade a manageable distance away and asks them to accompany himself and Hannah to it. And they agree because they're like, well, uh, stick together, safety in numbers, yada, yada, yada. Um, yeah. It's, this moment to me, it's maybe like the one, the one scene that I think they like almost, they almost missed the mark with the, that sort of debate. Uh, to me, I feel like Selena's reaction of just like, n- like we, when he's like, we, we, like we can get there. She's just like, we, it's just like, it's just a little bit too on the nose for me. So this is the, o- that's the only scene. If anybody's going back to watch, it's the only scene that I think the performances are a little bit weird. It's the only, it's the only one. That's okay. It, look, Hey, every, uh, every flaw just makes it stronger. You know, exactly. the rest exactly. of it. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. We can still love it. Yeah. 
uh, so they they decide that they're going to make this trip. And at one point, they they get into Frank's little cab, and they're in the tunnel, and they get a flat, uh, and God. very scary. And the infected are running at them, but. They're all screaming at Hannah to fix this tire. Come on, Hannah, yeah. get the tire on Hannah. And I can't think of anything less helpful than yeah. them screaming, screaming at, a, at this a young child. Girl. Yeah. Oh my god! Uh, uh, screaming at this young girl who I guess is good at changing tires. That's like her thing. Uh, yeah, they're they're so mean, so stress inducing. Uh, uh, not helpful at all. It's also one of those perfect scenes of it's like the the obvious encroaching storm and like. Just the music going, like they just like it's just so perfect, and like the rats that, that oh man run underneath the car while she's like starting to try to to change the tire. That it's got just me. like uh, it's just such a a perfect scene of like you can see them like you can see in the distance the shadows that's yeah. terrifying coming towards you. It's like uh so good. It's so good, especially because luckily they all do get away and they get away by the skin of their teeth. It's very satisfying, but then. You also get this great, like, reward at the end of them getting away. And they find this stocked market, which is – it's such a nice, like, light moment. And to me, this is kind of where some of that Romero influence shines through. It really feels like them having a grand old time in the mall during Dawn Yeah, and again, it's music choice in this scene also completely makes the scene. Like, that song, which I think is a band called Granddaddy, that song is so perfect for what's happening. And it, it just makes you smile. And you need it so bad at that moment in the mm-hmm. movie. It's like the whole movie has been so, so, so bleak. And then when that music kicks in and you're like, oh, wait, this actually is a scene that I can just chill out and enjoy. I don't have yeah. to be scared <laughs> that uh, something I did. I was waiting for something to jump out, to be honest. I was like, a, a little piece of me was like, oh, uh, you can't can't let yourself get too comfortable but it'd be so messed up if they just like had like a a huge bloated zombie fall through the ceiling and just be like oh it's a boss fight now they have this nice nice moment and selena mentions that she loves those terry's chocolate oranges which i totally Mm -hmm. agree but what's what's your food that you're pillaging in your in this situation oh man that's that's tough i uh i mean i it's weird but i think that like i would be going for like the uh the like little Debbie's aisle. Oh hell yeah, zebra like, cakes. Yeah, zebra cakes. <laughs> your Star Crunch. Oh hell yeah, Star Crunch. As a kid, was the best thing you could ever eat, in my opinion. I was uh, a big zebra cakes and uh, uh, cosmic brownies guy. Oh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> also, the like Christmas tree versions of zebra cakes oh, that yeah. came out around Christmas. I'm in. That's where treat. I'm going. <laughs> uh, also, so much sugar that they'd never go bad. So. Uh, oh, perfect. You could eat them forever. Uh, I think that my pick would probably be like one of those big um, like cartons of goldfish. Mm. I'm a, like I just feel like uh, I never really get bored of goldfish, even if they're yeah. not like my favorite thing. So yeah, very reliable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but <laughs> they they truly stock up this this van. They're not van. This uh, taxi, and they drive over to the blockade, but. They find it seemingly deserted, and everyone is pissed off, and they're all sulking around. And friggin' Frank, man, <laughs> he, uh, he kicks this, like, canister because there's a crow. Like, there's an annoying bird. He's yeah. got to get rid of the annoying bird, dude. <laughs> birds are annoying. <laughs> Look, you don't have to tell me. I don't trust birds as far as I can throw them. Especially not a crow. Yeah. Come on. But he kicks this thing, and there's a dead body up there. And a drop of blood falls in his eye. Oh. His own damn fault. I'm like, God. Frank, come on, dude. 
it uh this scene to the the sort of subsequent moment after of his daughter like coming up and like like being like dad what's wrong and him just like knowing it's over yeah it's so, oh god and he's trying to tell her to go away and she's like no i need to like see what's wrong with you and yeah he's like no i've got blood in my eye it's over yeah oh heartbreaking yeah and it's like the three of them you're like oh my god which one of them is gonna have to kill this guy <laughs> yeah yeah you feel you expect at that moment like this is like the daughter's chance she's gonna yeah. but then no no luckily no, no, for no. all of them the soldiers arrive and uh, they kill frank and <laughs> well luckily i guess is all relative but uh, yeah. <laughs> they, they they kill frank and they take the remaining survivors to a mansion that they've bunkered down in in the it's under the command of major henry west played by christopher eccleston oh man he's so good he's so good but like in this in this first introductory scene to them this, the, the scene where Selena is crying on Hannah's behalf because she's like, I don't want her to have to cope. That yeah. trauma is going to be there forever. And it's like they were so close. Yeah. Oh, man. Really powerful scene and great, great performance. This 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 sort of sequence from the moment that they get to this mansion to the end, I think is like such is the reason that I think this movie is so good because it takes like the sort of common trope of like. Zom- like in zombie movies of just like but like people are also really bad like the worst enemy isn't the isn't the dead people it's the living people but it just does it so well that i think the fact that it is is sort of tropey and like you sort of know what's coming they just they execute it in a way and with the twist of of what happens with killian murphy's character with jim it's like that i think it's oh man i love i just want to keep watching it yeah, and it really is great. And this is another one of those moments where you're like, oh, this is like, it's nice. Things are taking a turn for the better. They're like, oh, we're going to be friends. Hot showers because we have a boiler, a nice yeah. mansion to shelter in. And I mean, we see how heavily guarded this is when there are pr- the mansion is approached by some infected and the whole lawn is booby trapped with like landmines and crap. And it yeah. blows them to smithereens. One of them even bounces. It's a nice uh, double shot. I, uh, yeah, I love when the, 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 the line... Uh, from one of the soldiers he just screams he bounced it's very funny to me it's a very good read on that line if yeah people want to go back and check it out and but like you insinuated the safety promised by these soldiers is uh not exactly what it appears one of the soldiers gets extremely rapey and uh another one stops him after jim is dispatched easily but the captain softly says, slow down to the rapey soldier. And I was like, oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> West reveals to Jim that the broadcast was intended to lure female survivors into sexual slavery to create a future. Like, uh, good Lord. Yeah. It's just the bleakest, the the bleakest timeline. Yeah. Like, and that's, I think, what this movie is in spades. It's like literally... The bleakest timeline over and over and over again. The, a the, month the, the, in. A yeah. month into the apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think that's ex- an exaggeration. Like, I think that, like, humanity wouldn't last in that context. I don't think humanity would last more than a month, like, being somewhat normal. We would, like, revert to the worst Barbarism. the worst impulses. Yeah. yeah. Seriously. Luckily, Jim refuses to be complicit. We're like, all right, good for you, Jim. <laughs> but he tries to escape, and they're stopped by Westmen. And that same helpful soldier from before, his name is Sergeant Farrell, he he dissents and he tries to help the trio, but both him and Jim are locked up to be executed the next morning. And in this jail cell, he explains to Jim his theory that Britain has been quarantined and actually the rest of the world is uninfected. 
This is counter to what we had already been told. But you're also realizing that, like, we've heard it from somebody with this intense negative point of view. Like, Naomi is the one who told him. Yeah. And so it's very – he just accepted it as as the truth because she's the first person that he met. But it's very possible that this isn't the case. And so this is the first time that he's even really considering that. Yeah. uh, I love that scene too. I think that guy's performance is so good. Yeah, it is really good. And he he does a lot to help them. I mean – the next morning they're like marched out to this infected mass grave that they're like where they've been shoveling all of them. And this soldier, again, he sacrifices his life to distract the executioners and Jim hides in the pile of the infected. Yeah. So gross. It's a, it's a staple of zombie movies, but it's so gross every time when they have to like cover themselves in the guts and stuff. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, at that, at a certain point, I think I'd just be like, you know what? I'll just die. I'll just <laughs> yeah, go ahead like, and die. Where's the line? How far am I willing to go? <laughs> I don't think I want to lay in a pile of dead bodies for it's any a, reason. Pretty I think, rough. I don't, I don't think I would. I think I would just stand up and let them kill me. Wow. Well, you know, I, I think that I think that it shows kind of the undeniable hope that he has because he woke up so late into it that he's still kind of like at the perspective of someone only two days into this qu- yeah. into this thing. Yeah, so, he, he, it's not it can't be that bad in his head. So he's he's got a little bit of an advantage here. But uh, while he's running away after they chase after the soldier, Jim notices a plane overhead and he realizes that this theory is correct. Very convenient that the plane happens to pass over at this moment, but I don't care. It's great to see this confirmation, and you're like, oh, my God, there is some hope. Not all is lost. Meanwhile, back in the house, (sighs) one of the worst scenes I've seen in a very long time, Selena and Hannah are forcibly stripped, and, and they're abused by West's men, both physically and verbally, and... Hannah is 14 and they're like talking about how she's going to be one of their like sex slaves. And it's just so awful. And Selena like forces antidepressants down Hannah's throat to be like, I'm not trying to kill you. I'm just trying to make you not care. Yeah. It's like, except it's like that, that like accepting the inevitable, but just like making it, making it feel less bad. Just in time, (laughs) Jim manages to return to the blockade and he sounds the air raid siren to scatter the soldiers, so they go off looking for him. West tries to flee, but he finds his Land Rover was sabotaged by Jim, and the infected are starting to arrive, so West goes back into the mansion, really kind of in a jam here, and Jim releases Private Mailer, who we had seen earlier introduced by the soldiers. He's an infected soldier that they kept chained up to study. Another very Romero thing. And this is, I think, a pretty direct homage to Bub in Day of the Dead. And he's kept chained up to study them. But he, Jim releases him, which, boy, for a private, this guy really has a, a lot of fighting capability. And he, he really, uh, he I think he gets like over half of the men just Yeah, totally, he takes them out. It's also it, such an insane, like another one of those great sort of uh like scary reveals they're in the room and they just like move over and he's like out the window and he just like jumps through and just wrecks everybody oh yeah it's brutal it is brutal but i also really like that they show here that they don't just know how to do jump scares because when hannah is hiding behind the mirror and it's approached by one of the infected 
it's just so intense as she's like literally like gripping onto the back. Oh yeah. She's drugged up too. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And this whole escape is super intense and Jim does get inside and he gets a hold of the lead raper and gouges out his eyes. It's truly one of the most viscerally disgusting things I've ever seen in a movie, but like also so cathartic at that point. When, when the camera pans down from him and then they actually just like show him with his thumbs in this guy's eyes, mm-hmm. it's like simultaneously one of like you literally are just like disgusted, but also like cheering at your, the top of your lungs that he just like, right. did this to this guy. And also the coolest thing, kind of getting back to what we were talking about before, at this point in the movie, they've started shooting Jim as if he is infected, which I think is like the coolest choice they could have ever made. Every time he is fighting anyone or like doing anything, they're shooting it with that same like sort of high shutter speed, like very shaky camera vibe. Mm-hmm. That's to me like the sort of like bookend of this movie that I think is so cool. They introduce this idea that this is how they shoot people who are infected with this rage virus. They shoot them in this style. And then when Jim is just full of actual rage towards these people, he's shot in the same way sort of like solidifying that sort of like visual metaphor of like he is he now has this virus but it is it is his own sort of expression of what it means to him kind of without him actually being infected you know what I mean? right i i don't think it's an accident that the most gruesome death in a movie full of murderous rage zombies is this actual human who is just he's been through so much at this point he's had to deal with the loss of two people that he just met he's dealing with his parents uh, death as well the whole just adjusting to the fact that the world is over as far as he's concerned Uh, it's no surprise that he needs this kind of release and i also don't think that it's an accident that they had mentioned this drought and finally when jim lets loose the clouds let loose as well and it's pouring during this whole scene yeah it's like symbolically it's like him it that rain is hope You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? It's like releasing everything, all this emotion that he's sort of pent up for the two, three days that he's been awake in this one big moment. And they're sort of like visually sort of symbolizing that with like the heavens opening up and him just like running wild on these guys. Yeah. It's so good, man. It's so good. The whole sequence is so good. (laughs) And Jim, Selena, and Hannah try and leave in Frank's cab, but West is in the back seat and he shoots Jim. And... Hannah retaliates with some sick stunt driving, which actually is established earlier in the movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I was like, they set okay, it up. movie, okay, you get this one. Yeah, <laughs> and that's why she's the the whole tire changing thing like that. Like she's the car, she's a car kid. Exactly, she's uh, the getaway, and uh, she she reverses up and she lets Private Mailer grab West through the rear window. Such a good pull vision. him out kill him it's so good and the three survivors they escape the mansion and wow another 28 days later oh yeah (laughs) jim is recovering at a remote cottage while we see the infected actually dying of starvation which this is something that had been brought up earlier where part of the reason that they were studying uh mailer is because they're like well we now at this point uh we can't get anything else out of him we just want to see how long it takes them to starve to death yeah yeah just before a finnish fighter pilot flies overhead jim selena and hannah unfurl a huge cloth letter o to complete the word hello and the the three watch the jet looking optimistic that it spotted them and it seems that this is the case because the pilot of the plane says uh 
Lehataco Helicopterin, which is, will you send a helicopter in Finnish? (laughs) So, a happy ending. Hooray. It's such a nice, hopeful thing. It's very funny that that the the sheets say hello and not help. It's like, they're just saying, "Hey, hey, we're good, but hi. Just communicating, like, hello. We don't need your help, but... We just want to let you know that we uh, acknowledge that you're out there. I so I watched the alternate endings. Today. Oh yeah, the, the is the 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 storyboarded one. Yeah, that, so I there yeah. are a couple, and boy, yeah. they are bleak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> In the first one, which was filmed, Jim bleeds out as they yeah. try and save him at the hospital. And Hannah and Selena just kind of wander out into the wilderness, despondent. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, really no indication about whether they'll live or die you're just like oh i guess that's it i i guess you you're left to come up with your own idea of if they live or die but it's certainly their attitude uh (laughs) it's not not positive what do you so before we get to the storyboarded one what do you think about that ending i mean to me i think that that ending almost makes more sense for the would make more sense for the, the movie that we've seen up until that point but I also understand that, like, ending a movie that is so emotionally draining with an ending like that, I think would have had people leaving the theaters being like, man, I don't know if I like that movie. <laughs> like, it, it, there's just that that amount of, like, hopelessness, I think, is too much. So I understand the the desire to sort of leave the audience with, like, a small uptick. You know what I yeah. mean? I call uh, that the prisoner's effect. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. And uh, so there's also this this storyboarded, radically radically different ending. And they were trying to think what would happen if the soldiers never entered the story and they just kept it to this small group. And the branching happens when Frank gets infected. And instead of him dying, Jim just beats the crap out of him and then ties him up. Yeah. A- and the barricade that they're at was at the animal research facility. And so they're like, okay... The message said that the answer was here, so we're going to look for this cure. And they find someone locked up inside the room, seemingly totally fine, just has the supplies to wait it out. And he is not interested in helping them, but he does reveal that the cure is a full blood transfusion, every single drop. This is because the... You know, it, all it took was one drop of blood from an infected person getting into his eye, and uh, and so it has to be complete. And Jim sacrifices himself to save Frank so that he can be reunited with his daughter. And this is they get let into the the like little room that this guy had built for himself. Boy, another real downer. Even though yeah. Frank gets to come back, yeah, it's like I mean a cool idea, but also it's like. I, I think that, that that ending is both bleak and I not right for this the the story in yeah. my opinion because it doesn't really it allows like redemption but like for a character who doesn't need like like why would why do we want Jim to sacrifice himself? It's like he it's not like he's like redeeming himself for anything with that choice. Right. And like so like with this with the ending that's current that actually is in the movie it is it is like the ultimate catharsis for him you know what i mean like Absolutely. for him finally like sort of probably some sort of metaphorical like sort of emotional release you know what i mean like where he's like 
dealing with the reality of like losing his family and everything and he's like it's allowing him to sort of like release all of that and sort of get back to life so it like i feel like that's a cool ending and it probably would have been really cool but i just don't think it's the right ending for the movie absolutely i totally agree that the one that they landed on is it's really great i i do like the ending where jim dies in the hospital but i like you said i think that it does need that kind of element of hope I understand why that other one tested poorly, which is what I was reading. Yeah, was the reason that it had that it got switched, and I think that it's the right move. Like you said, I think that it does add a lot to it. And John, we've now reached the point where we kind of sum up why this is the best horror movie ever made because we've talked a lot about the little elements that make it really great. But it's our time to now just completely put it into a nice put a bow on it. So <laughs> I'll let you uh, kick it off for us. I mean, I think to me why this movie is so good is that it is like it is a good movie more so than it is a horror movie to me it's so spot on in terms of how it tells its story how it engages the audience and how it makes you sort of like sort of follow along and like sort of hold these characters hands on this ride that like to me as a person who is not like i'm gonna go see every horror movie and i'm gonna i love getting scared it's like so good as a movie that it, it tricks you into being like, oh shit, I loved that horror movie, which I think is the sign of a good horror movie to me is a movie that like, even if you don't like horror, you can watch it and be like, man, that movie is like so well made and so well produced and put together that I enjoyed it, even though I hate being scared. And I think that this is like one of those movies that just is so immersive. It feels like a roller coaster. Like it actually gives you the experience of like riding a roller coaster and you forget you forget that you're like watching a movie that's like scary that you are being scared it's just you are in it and you're just sort of completely at the whim of this movie and i think that's due to the visual style the sort of like sound design and and score and the performance i think the performances are all really really good and so like interesting and like subtle in a lot of ways and like the timing of those scares it's not so frequent that you're just like so exhausted by them <laughs> they all yeah. they all they always like sort of push you into the next sort of story beat as opposed to it feeling like cheap you're getting scared now because we're raising the stakes and i think that that's a thing a thing that i hate in a horror movie is a, a movie that i don't feel like is like earning its scares definitely and i think and i think this movie is one of those movies where like every time you're being like sort of scared intentionally it's because the stakes are being raised like every time like the the church his parents house like the the tunnel and then all everything in the in the mansion every time you're being scared it's to ratchet up the tension for the beat that's coming and i think that that is a thing that a lot of horror movies miss the mark on they're just like scares for the sake of scares and this movie is one that it's scaring you just to remind you to to stay invested you know what i mean absolutely yeah i definitely agree and i think that to me this is the best horror movie ever made because it throws you in and doesn't let off the brakes until until it's it's story relevant you're thrown yeah. off balance and it just does such a great job of establishing this world and of making you feel the same sense of isolation you go through these emotions with killian murphy's character so perfectly where you're like oh my god he's alone and then when the people show up you're like wow oh, thank god there's um, people exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah and then and then they take one away and you're like oh my god all of these emotion emotional beats are communicated so well and so thoroughly that it's so easy to lose yourself in this group dynamic and then 
for it to take this shift into exploring that humanity is the real monster kind of thing and being able to do that in a way that doesn't feel cheesy and doesn't feel overdone. That's the thing is that a lot of these zombie moments that happen in this movie are done are executed in such a way that they don't feel tropey, which is super yeah. important to him. Well, and like because I, th- I think that like this movie never, it never jumps the shark. You know what I no, mean? Like so many not. horror, like zombie movies are built on like ridiculous set pieces and characters that just don't exist. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's like you meet the character, the big bad guy, and he's a guy with a leather jacket and like a, a mask that he made out of like the bones of 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 his like dead friends, and he's got like a gun that's not a gun that you've ever seen before in the real world. They're it's caricatures. Like, yeah, like this movie is like what if it's like it's so realistic. It's like yeah. what if, if zombies were real? What would happen? And this is exactly what would happen. It's not. It doesn't have to be over the top to keep you entertained. It's just. It's almost the opposite. It like is so relatable and like real that it keeps you invested. Yeah, that relatability makes it feel so timely right now. Especially, yeah. I mean, first of all, there's a pandemic happening. Yeah. <laughs> so newsflash, everybody. <laughs> In so, case you haven't looked at the news. Yeah. Strike one. If you're in yeah. a coma and you decide that the first thing oh, you're going to do is listen to this podcast. That's, isn't that crazy that that's actually true, though, that there's people out there who are in comas who don't even know what's going on? I know. It's why the, the people who were in the German uh, Big, Big Brother. Brother house. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Jared Leto also apparently was on a silent meditative retreat. Wow. Yeah. He's experiencing this right now. You have all this. And I mean, I am on Twitter and that negative feedback loop exists so much on Twitter. You're so constantly exposed to negativity that even without realizing it, you can wind up being snarky and shitty to other people who are in your not only web presence as well, but also that can uh, carry over into real life in the way that you're treating real people in your real life. Yeah. And that kind of virality, that viral nature of this awful feedback loop, I think is exactly what's on display in this movie. Yeah. And God, just the relevance of it, it was really like sh- it shook me. To, uh, this was my first time seeing this movie. Oh, really? Yeah. Man. Whoa. <laughs> so I was like, man, and this it's even is like intense, even down to like the sort of perspective of West, like Major West, like the perspective of I don't I don't care about these like regular people who I am like attracting to my my thing the, like my compound what matters to me is my friends like my friends being happy and my friends right. having women to have sex with it's like such a real analogous situation to like the people right now who are just like I think we got to open the economy back up and who cares if people Ugh. die you know what I mean yeah. it's like it's the same thing it's the same impulse it's like I got to make sure my buddies get theirs so I don't care about these regular people who I've like duped into thinking that I'm going to save them. It's really, it's, it's so brutal. Grease the wheels of society with the blood of those less fortunate. And uh, it's very much communicated in this. And uh, to me, that makes this the best horror movie of all time. John, Hell yeah. I want to thank you for coming on the show. This was a uh, ton man. of fun. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Why don't you uh, tell the people where they can find you? Well, I'm on Twitter uh, at it's John Mackey. Uh, I-T-S-J-O-N-M-A-C-K-E-Y You can follow me there You can also follow Big Grande The guys I do the Teacher's Lounge with We're uh, at Big Grande Tweets on Twitter 
and the Teachers Lounge, our podcast, the free episodes drop every Wednesday uh, on iTunes, Stitcher, Earwolf. And then we also have uh, like mini episodes on Stitcher Premium that come out every Thursday that are little like 15 minute bullshits, as I like to call them. <laughs> But yeah, so that's that's pretty much it. Listen to the stuff. Yeah, Sorry. exactly. Go just go find John on Twitter and go listen yeah. to his stuff. You can find me on Twitter at Gerg Hef, and the show is on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Little Horror PHL. There's merch on T Public if you feel like you want a fun shirt. And uh, give us a rating and review if you don't mind. That would be helpful. That's pretty much it for me. But uh, instead of bye, in honor of our guest, I want to tell everyone to uh, stay flippy out there. Ooh, nice. <laughs> nice inside Nailed joke it. that no one yeah. will get. Yeah, old slobs get it. <laughs> <laughs> old slobs, no. <laughs> All right, thanks, everyone, and bye.